American Academy of Neurology estimates that mild cognitive impairment is present in approximately 8% of people ages 65 to 69. In 15% of people between the ages of 75 and 79, and for those 80 to 84, the number stands at approximately 25%, and 37% for those 85 or older. Jimmy St. Louis is a businessman, a former competitive athlete, and a family man. He is also the current founder and CEO of Franchise 123 and the Cognitive Health Institute, both global leading brands. He was also the founder and CEO of Regenerative Medical Solutions, a leading medical company with a focus on cellular therapy and on a mission to treat the untreatable. In addition to his business and entrepreneurial background, St. Louis also played tight end for the Tennessee Titans. He was also a three-sport athlete at the University of Auburn and most recently he was a member of the 2016 United States rowing team. It's safe to say that St. Louis has a diversified background in the field of healthcare, sports, and life. And he joined me this week to talk cognitive healthcare, the state of the overall healthcare system in America, his time as a professional athlete, and so much more. So, without further delay, I'm Kevin McChan. Let's have this conversation. to learn about how you're uh, changing the world through healthcare. Great to see you this morning, and thank you so very much for being here. Yeah, very, very happy to be here as well. Thank you. And I just want to be sure that, that you can hear me okay. I can hear you loud and clear, my friend, and I know that you're the uh, founder and current CEO of uh, a Franchise 123 and a uh, Healthcare uh, Wellness Institute. Uh, which are both leading brands. So I'm t- wondering if we can start our conversation by you telling me what makes you so fabulous and why you're so dedicated to healthcare. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I've had the luxury of, um, you know, working in healthcare now for about 15 years uh, in a number of different startups and uh, companies that that we've built and managed. And um, our most recent company, um, AliRx, uh, you can find it at AliRx.health, um, is intended to provide uh, patients and customers with in-home gut health testing that allows us to gain insight into all the types of foods that they should be focused on, the foods they should stay away from. And we provide personalized food prescriptions to them based on their on their specific gut health. And we really believe that food is medicine. And in order to have a healthy body that's built to last, um, where your quality of life is equal to your length of life, we believe it starts with food. And um, in order to have a, a healthy gut and a healthy body, um, you've got to be able to put the right food in, into your body. So we're working to provide people with the specific guidance to help do that. Yeah, absolutely. And my friend, I know that you're a former competitive athlete uh, as an old uh, sports reporter. I'm always excited when I can connect with athletes. So tell me how your athletic background helps you in health care and affects the work you do today. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I just believe that there's a lot of parallels between people who operate in particular have experience in, in team sports, uh, people who have understood the importance of leadership, of taking advice and coaching, of collaboration, uh, of caring for people around you, of sharing, uh, picking and sharing a common goal uh, throughout the course of a season. I think all those things are translatable into, into business in general. And as it relates specifically to healthcare, uh, you know, I think that one thing that the healthcare community could really improve on is the ability to collaborate well with one another. <clears throat> and in team sports, if there's not collaboration and a shared goal, then you will fail. And so I believe that that's, uh, you know, certainly translatable into the healthcare environment and something that we've certainly worked to live by. And through the work you do, Jimmy, I'm curious to ask you about uh, what your greatest hope is for the future of the area of healthcare that you work in, and uh, if you could just expand upon uh, some of the uh, ways that you, you would want to collaborate moving forward to give more people access to healthcare. You know, I think that uh, access to healthcare is. <clears throat> is looked at in, in somewhat of, of broad terms. You know, there's, of course, access to healthcare in rural areas. There's access to proper healthcare in, um, you know, people's neighborhoods. And But what, what we're really focused on isn't access to, to traditional care. We're focused on access to care that meets unmet needs. And one thing that I've really spent my career focusing on is trying to solve problems in healthcare if there's a gap, like for example, uh, providing people with surgical intervention that they may not have had access to before, providing people with innovative care to help treat their lungs. And now we're providing people with access to tests that get sent directly to their house with a very simple finger prick. Uh, you're able to <clears throat> gather a lot of insight about uh, how your body works. And then we're able to provide very specific foods that you should stay away from and foods you should focus on. Uh, so we really believe that the in-home healthcare 
aspect of things is going to open up uh, the the world and the population, frankly, to uh, a lot more access to information on their body and, and what works for them to give them a proper plan. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Jimmy, I was, I, I want to share just a little bit about myself. So I was uh, born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, simply means that I don't have enough oxygen uh, in my legs to walk normally. And, you know, one of the things that I live my life by is that inclusion is the gateway uh, to independence. It's, it's sort of my life motto. And I have dedicated my adult life to breaking down barriers t- towards inclusion and acceptance. So from a healthcare lens, I'm curious to get your thoughts on how we can better uh, serve folks with uh, disabilities and provide more healthcare access to more vulnerable populations. So, you know, I'd love to hear more about your experience. I think that somebody who's lived is likely going to have a, a lot better advice than, than I'll be able to have, uh, be able to provide. You know, I think that um, from us, from our perspective, though, you know, adding a level of transparency and collaboration and then access to high quality healthcare for a, for a broader population is important. Um, in order for that to be possible for a broader population, it can't stay where uh, where people are focused on innovative healthcare and it's all a cash pay model. <clears throat> We've got to be able to try to find a way to find private insurance payers to, to participate in research studies and to work to truly adopt um, healthcare practices that may meet in a current unmet need and focus, frankly, on directly what's best for the patient. And I think when you can provide it to a, a wider population, um, you know, inclusion will certainly be um, something, you know, a, a byproduct of that. But, you know, I'd love to hear, um, you know, Kevin, some of your experience and you know, as inclusion became your, your, you know, your model and your passion, I'd love to hear some of the stuff that you, that you have experienced that you've been happy with and some things that you've been disappointed in. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, quickly share this story with you. So I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Canadian healthcare system. As you know, I live in Canada, but when you uh, turn 18 in Canada, most of the therapies that are paid uh, for through the government are are uh, are cut off when you're 18, and it's coming upon your loved ones or whoever is supporting you at the time to pick up the health care needs. So uh, one of the things that we tell, uh, especially young families with uh, children with disabilities, is that you have to start uh, thinking about their future really at birth to give yourself sort of a, a nest egg to pay for medical expenses. I'll give you uh, an example. Before I... Um, got the government funding through uh, another government program for uh, paying for uh, what we talk here in Canada, personal support workers. Uh, my parents would pay uh, to make sure out of pocket that I would uh, get uh, someone to take care of my medical needs in terms of exercise and stretching and, and getting dressed in certain occasions. So it's really... Uh, we're working uh, 
for instance, I'm working with uh, the local children's treatment center here in Windsor and Essex County on a uh, what, what we're calling a transition to adulthood, which allows uh, children with disabilities and their families as they age out of the government system to learn about uh, the resources and, and the funding available uh, to pay for health care. So it's uh, it, it's a real shock to the system for most families uh, because they're used to having a certain level of financial and medical assistance up until a point, and when you turn 18, uh, they have to pay for it themselves. So we're working uh, through getting families better resources from that area of healthcare, if that makes sense. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for, for mentioning that, you know, we did have some experience and you started off by saying, not sure how familiar I am with the Canadian healthcare system. I wouldn't say extremely familiar, but familiar enough to understand that um, for certain types of procedures, people will often go across the Canadian border and come over here and pay cash for procedures because they may have a very long waiting list. Uh, but I also heard that a lot of things culturally lead people to feel okay and just understand that long waiting list for certain interventions. Um, <clears throat> and so I would be curious to hear, do you believe that, let's say there's you know, a long waiting list for say a, a certain type of surgical intervention, is that due strictly to a, a shortage of healthcare providers? Um, or is there some other particular reason why these, why, you know, the, the list, the, the waiting list on care for, you know, a lot of Canadians may be long? That's a good question, and I'll give you a local example. Uh, for me here in Windsor, uh, um, so whenever uh, families have to have medical procedures, if, if they have uh, a child with a disability, often they have to go to London, Ontario, which is about two hours away from here for any a medical procedure, and obviously uh, they're... Uh, responsible for the cost uh, of getting them there and sometimes uh, the cost of uh, paying for the surgery itself. So what uh, our mayor here in Windsor and other uh, politicians are uh, pushing for is what's called a mega hospital, uh, which would allow uh, these families to get the services from a, a, surger, a surgery perspective here in winter, so they wouldn't have to travel to London or Toronto, for example. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Understood. Okay, yeah, and then it's um, so it's a it's it's a government um, healthcare system, but then if I understand them correctly, you're saying each province um, has some of their own their own rules and regulations and uh, stipulations. That's correct. Canada is a universal healthcare system, as you know, but each. Uh, provinces, their uh, rules and uh, regulations on how they implement the uh, universal health care. Okay, got it. Okay, understood. Great. And yeah, and Jimmy, uh, I'm curious to dive into your other sort of roles uh, in, in terms of health care. I know you were the chief operating officer for a laser spine uh, organization and you uh, help grow that organization from 
a nine employees from what it is today. So I'm wondering if you could give me just a broader overview of your career in healthcare and why healthcare and access to healthcare is so important to you from a personal perspective. Sure. Uh, well, it's, it's important from a personal perspective because, you know, I've had many family members suffer of a variety of ailments, um, whether it's lung disease, um, Alzheimer's. Uh, we've been fortunate to not have any um, any direct experience in, in our um, you know, family's lineage with cancer, although my wife's family has suffered from it. And I think that it, healthcare is a relatively complicated situation where Patients are often in doubt on if they've made the right selection from their healthcare provider perspective. Patients often don't have a choice to make a selection in their healthcare provider um, selection process. And I think because of that, we often feel like we're a bit like cattle, you know, being shuffled from one place to another um, under somebody else's agenda. And um, to me, the ability to provide innovative, much needed aspects of healthcare directly to consumers is a short-term answer, but it's not an answer that's going to provide access to a wide population. So doing things like what we're doing with in-home health testing, making things very easy for people to gain access to in a cost-effective manner is important. Uh, we are working to partner with insurance companies um, we would like to try to find a way to partner internationally, even if it's you know working directly with the organizations in Canada. Um, we're working to work directly with healthcare providers as well, where healthcare providers are paying out of their own pocket for um, for our services and in turn providing patients with a better quality of care. So those things uh, lead me to the you know essentially the the conclusion that it's it's important that people think differently when you're focused on uh, more innovative healthcare practices. Um, I got into this <clears throat> because we saw a, a need in healthcare and the spinal surgery market. We approached it differently as well. We worked with insurance on an out-of-network basis. So here in the States, you know, we've got, you know, insurance providers and <clears throat> you go in a network, you sign a contract with them, insurance will pay for the care of that patient. But <clears throat> we saw that insurance wasn't willing to pay enough. They consider it an, an unproven treatment. So what we did was we we worked to go directly to the consumers. They would sign up for, you know, to sorry, directly to the healthcare consumers. They would sign up for <clears throat> treatment. They would pay cash. And then we would we would work directly with their insurance provider <clears throat> to bill and collect on an out-of-network basis. <clears throat> um, we did treat a number of patients from <clears throat> from Canada as well. They worked with a couple um different patient facilitation programs where those programs would go out and help them find the money. <clears throat> um, and then they would then go back and work with your respective organizations to try to get them reimbursement. Um, so we believe that access to high quality healthcare starts by identifying a need, by finding the right technology and or a service in healthcare that will help to accommodate to that unmet need and then working to market and um, educate directly to healthcare consumers um, to have them essentially leapfrog the typical healthcare insurance process 
And then over time, as you see a lot of success, you utilize those patient outcomes data to have more and more insurance companies jump on board until it becomes the industry standard. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jimmy, I'm, I'm curious to ask you about Obamacare and access to healthcare uh, to, for seniors. And, you know, the American healthcare system is a lot different uh, than what we experience in Canada. So, if you had to give, give sort of a report card on uh, the American healthcare system as a whole, I'm wondering where you would start and why. Um, okay, so, you know, there's, I'd say the, the American healthcare system is, you know, it, it makes up, I think, something that would be the equivalent of like one-sixth of the whole world's GDP. Um it's you know our healthcare spend is significantly higher than any than any other country, and the challenges though are that we have you know government funded healthcare programs through Medicare and Medicaid, then you have privately funded healthcare programs through groups like United Healthcare, Aetna, Blue Cross, Cigna, um, and every one of them has their own set of rules, and you have the ability as a high quality, high volume healthcare provider to negotiate your contracts. And, and those contracts often determine and dictate care. They determine and dictate whether a patient would be able to undergo treatment with a particular physician. And uh, they often dictate where and when and how you have to undergo your treatment. And although guidance in healthcare is very important to help steer the patient, especially those that don't have experience in healthcare uh, in the right direction, the challenge is that it's still motivated through reimbursement. And so I, I think if I could summarize it, um, the access challenges are really related to insurance companies having a stronghold on on healthcare providers. Yeah, and to that point, uh, I'm curious, how do you define healthcare equity and the quality moving forward? What do you think is the new normal when we look at those definitions? Um, you know, I, I don't know that a whole lot has in particular changed, in my opinion. So I don't even know that there is a new normal. I just think there's just a normal. And um, I think that there's a lot more inequality in healthcare now than there used to be, largely because uh, access to healthcare and high quality healthcare, I think, is often determined by funding and finances. So, access to private healthcare is a cash pay procedure. There are some loan companies out there, but at the end of the day, it's really only more accessible for those people that have have the means to access it. And um, some than the others, the large majority, are really subject to. Uh, the insurance companies really dictating uh, where they go. So I, in fact, think it's more unequal now than it really has ever been. Um, and I think it's going to take having proper data and having insurance companies willing to take a, a true look at outcomes and data to adopt healthcare procedures that will truly lower the cost of healthcare, not those that will drive prescriptions, not those that will, that don't have a, end in sight and they're just treating patients in perpetuity without any real solution. You know, an example is lung disease. 
So the typical standard gives somebody an inhaler and an oxygen tank. That is not going to resolve the issue. It's just going to help them be more comfortable throughout their aging process. That's not a solution. So I think that focusing on areas of healthcare where you can provide true solutions and working hand in hand with insurance companies to uh, bring those solutions to the to the larger audiences, I believe that's the solution that's going to offer some type of um, you know larger adoption and inclusion here in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. And Jerry, uh, I just want to uh, go back very quickly to your athletic background because I know you played for. Uh, the Tennessee Titans as a tight end, and you were a three-sport athlete at Auburn, my friend. So tell me about some of uh, your uh, favorite uh, athletic memories, and I know you were most recently a member of the 2016 United States rowing team, my friend. So tell me about why athletics is so important to you, and some of your favorite memories as well. Sure. Um, the memories would be, you know, countless. We could talk for days about them, but I would say that, you know, that generally speaking, the best memory of anyone you ask who's played team sports for a long time is going to just be the uh, the group of friends and friendships that you um, that you have during those times. You, know, you go through a lot together. You're together uh, many many hours for long seasons. Um, you you bond over challenges. You bond over successes. You learn a lot with one another. Um, so, you know, my best friends in life I've played on teams with, and, um, it will, you know, we'll, we'll remain best friends for life because of those bonds that we formed. Um, so th- those are truly just some of the best memories, uh, whether it was in football, basketball, rowing, track and field, um, it's just more about being around those people. Of course, you can talk about some of the, the victories and the challenges and the funny things that happened at practice, but at the end of the day, it's really about the community, um, that you build with one another. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, Billy, I, I think uh, playing sports is the, the best one way to sort of build social capital and uh, uh, competitive uh, spirit, as uh, you said before. So how do you think sports can help improve our health from a, a quality of life standpoint? And how yourself would you define the term competitive spirit. I'm fascinated. Sure. Um, yeah, I think a lot of us are born with a competitive spirit, but I think competitive spirit really is just the willingness to get up every day and uh, repeat what you did the day prior and try to get a little bit better. Um, I don't think it's always about waking up and, and beating somebody, but I do think it's about con- being in a state of continuous improvement every single day. Um, and, putting the sacrifice, the time, the effort into it. Um, the One of the only things that we never get back in, in life is, is time. And um, choosing to dedicate your time towards a larger cause, whether it's in sports or in business or in healthcare or towards your family, you know, that's a, that's a choice that some people often will not make the more difficult choices to, to endure. Um, so to me, that's really what competitive spirit is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm also curious to ask you about your definition of resilience, both in healthcare, sports, and life. How do you think it's interconnected for those three things? Um. Okay, so it's a great question. I would say that 
you know, community is probably and relationships are probably the commonalities amongst all of them, um, whether it's healthcare community and focus on a common cause, whether it's with your family, whether it's in sports, it's really, you know, you have the commonality of, of a goal um, in mind to um, build relationships and to help people. And I'd say that's probably, you know, that really is the the commonality amongst, you know, amongst those three. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my final question for you this morning has to do with your own personal and professional legacy and how you want that to be defined. You know, um, so I often say that, you know, we, we try to surround ourselves with, you know, growth oriented, growth minded people. So we're, you know, we're always in a state of continuously learning. Um, but for me, I consider myself a mission driven problem solver. And, you know, that's what I'd like the tombstone to say, where, you know, I, I can find a, um, find a serious problem, find a challenge that can help people and then find a solution for that and then go on a mission to do that. That's to me, that's, that's the most important thing. So like what we're doing right now with LARX is we are really working hard to provide people's own health information, um, access to it directly to their home and provide them with those results very quickly to arm them with, uh, with, you know, with good information about themselves. And, um, you know, that's, that's my next mission here. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly a noble mission to have for sure. And, uh, Jimmy, I'm curious if, uh, finally, if people want to uh, get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that? Sure, they can uh, email me at jimmy at alirx.com. So that's jimmy at alirx, sorry, dot health. So alirx.health. Um, also, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just type in Jimmy St. Louis. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, feel free to visit our website as well, www.alirx.health. Fantastic. Well, uh, Jimmy, I really want to thank you for the good work that you do to provide uh, inclusive health care to the uh, population of people you serve and for really carrying the torch for health care equity and equality for all your work in the space. And, and time on my behalf is most appreciated. I want to thank you for being here this morning and engaging in conversation. It's most appreciated. Wonderful, Kevin. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you and uh, honored to be on the show. And uh, good luck with your show. And I'll look forward to, to hearing this episode and many more.